This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of December 12, 2016, and this is Michael Howey bringing you episode 410 of Defender Radio. Jacqueline Penny's family is in mourning. Their beloved dog, Doug, who had been with them only six months, died in front of Jacqueline's mother from the unrelenting crush of a snare trap in November. While out for a walk on their dead-end residential street near Happy Valley Goose Bay, Newfoundland, Doug wandered only several feet from the side of the road when he activated the snare, which quickly killed him. It is a trauma that no animal should endure. But on that day, Jacqueline had to find a way to tell her young son why his friend wasn't waiting for him when he came home from school. An interview with the CBC and hundreds of emails from supporters of the fur bears got the attention of the province's Minister of Environment and Conservation, Perry Trimper, whose office reached out to Jacqueline to set up a meeting. Jacqueline joined Defender Radio to share what was discussed in that meeting as well as how her family is handling the tragic loss of Doug and trying to move forward. Can you tell me a bit about how Doug came to your family? Um, My dad was actually working on the reserve here in Sheshashi, and he was working, and there's lots of stray dogs there, so he saw this dog, and it really pulled at his heartstrings. It just reminded of, of my son, who's got tons of energy and so he really, really was like, I want this dog. So he actually found out who owned the dog and he paid the little girl to buy her dog off of her. So we did. And he was really sick when we got him. He was just full of worms and everything. So we we bonded quite quickly with him, trying to get him all better. And once he was better, he was just, he had tons and tons of energy and just a very, very awesome dog. Yeah, and the uh, the, the mutts like him kind of pull up my heartstrings too, I'll admit. Uh, he's a handsome boy. Uh, how, how was he with your son? He was. He treated my son like he was one of the other dogs. We were trying to get him out of it, but he'd always just want to be playing with them, and he'd jump on them, and he'd have his mouth open towards them, but... He wouldn't be biting at him, just just trying to play with him. So he they they both really loved each other. Yeah, it's one of my pups is like that too. The the mouthy we're playing together thing. Uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of adorable to watch. Um, it is. <laughs> now, how how long was was Doug with your family? He was only with us for six months, but it seems like it was so much longer. Yeah, when they they hit your heart, they they become a part of life. I think. Um, yeah, and definitely. I guess we we kind of skip forward to this was late November. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was it your mom was walking Doug. What what happened that day? Yes, my mom is actually retired, so she was out walking Doug, and we live on sort of on the outskirts of town, but we're still in the town limit. And there's maybe five or so houses on our street, but we live on a dead end road. So 
once we got comfortable with him that we knew he wasn't going to run away, we would take him up off leash up there. But that was the only time he was ever off leash. Like if we took him in town or anything like that, like even leaving and coming out of the house, he was always on leash. So we felt comfortable enough for him to be off leash because he wouldn't go too far in the bush. He'd go off to the side enough in the bush to do his business. And then he would come back out. And anytime we called him, he'd be out there right when we called him. So it was very much a surprise when that happened that morning. Yeah. And when you and I spoke briefly and uh, from what I've read, it was a very quick instant thing that happened. Um, your, your mom came into your house. Yes. Uh, highly upset. And uh, how did how did you react? I mean, to see your mother come in without Doug and what I imagine was, was nearly pure panic. Yeah, she came in and she was just, she was just screeching, just sobbing. And my dad, they both came in my room. I was actually homesick. So I was sleeping. I woke up and I just see my mom in front of me just sobbing and just, I didn't know what to think. I was thinking it was something with my brother who lives out of town and, and it was just kind of a relief that it wasn't him. And I was just trying to be strong for my mom. And then I broke down once I realized that I'm going to have to tell my son. Yeah. That's when it hit me. And I was just like, Oh, like it was, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how I was going to tell him. Like, how do you tell a little boy who, like, we waited so long to get him a dog? How do you tell him just after a short period of time and all the bonding that he's going to go home and his buddy's not going to be there? Yeah, and that's that's not something any any family should have to endure or, or even consider how to have that conversation. Oh, definitely um, not. And uh, it, no, it's, it's been a few weeks now. Um, I guess we're into the second or third week of December. Is yeah. is life starting to resume normalcy in your home? It's it's different. I never thought like before. I didn't think that it would make much difference because we were so many years without a pet, and now it's just like our house is so quiet. Like I, what I wouldn't do to be telling Doug to get off my son right now, like as annoying as I thought it was then, oh, I'd rather be doing it every five minutes now. So it just, it's something, it's, it's hard. It's definitely very hard. So, uh, and, and following the events, the, the CBC obviously, um, contacted you and the story, uh, uh just went right across Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people talking about it, a lot of sympathy from our supporters, um, when we, when we told Doug's story, when we told your story, yeah. um, and it's unfortunately something that we, we too often have to do. Um, but <clears throat> one of the things that came out of this was that, um, a, you had requested looking at getting rid of the snares around town and but I guess it's the local hunting organization, hunting and trapping organization said, no, we can't do that. I, how do you sort of react to all of the information that's coming at you? Well, I'm definitely surprised that, like, 
I the next day after my story aired, I was hearing one of the the president of the hunting and fishing association or whatever. I'm not sure which association he belongs to, but it's along with the trappers. So I, I heard him after and he did have some very good points, but the one that hit me hard is basically he said, it's illegal to have your dog off leash. And my jaw kind of dropped and I'm thinking to me, it seems more illegal to have a trap set up less than 10 feet from a road than for my dog who's not going to kill anybody being off leash on that same road so that's what it kind of hit my heartstrings there too I was just like it just made it seem like they were just placing the blame on us that is unfortunately the standard response in these situations I can tell you um yeah and we obviously, as I said, uh, unfortunately write about this frequently and talk about it frequently. And our our simple response to that is 10 feet is not a setback. Um, you know, I, I have multiple dogs. I'm involved in sort of peripherally involved in a lot of dog things uh, as well as wildlife stuff. And a 10-foot lead is not unheard of. A 20-foot lead is not unheard of. Uh, dropping a leash... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the way I, I mentioned it when I spoke with uh, CBC Radio was every yeah. parent has had that time, even in a busy shopping mall, where they their child's hand slips out of theirs and they wander off in another direction. Mm-hmm. Every dog walker has dropped the leash and a squirrel happened to be across the streets. Um, yeah. you know, these, these things happen, um, but 10 feet... I think you kind of you, you hit it dead on is within 10 feet of a road simply doesn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you and I connected um, last week, you had mentioned that you uh, were contacted by uh, the Ministry of Environment office in Newfoundland, Labrador. How did that uh, play out? Yes, actually, that was kind of funny because that morning I was thinking after the holidays and all the parties and everything are all done I was thinking of contacting Terry because I have met him through specific functions before that I've went to and that evening when I got home I actually had a message from his office that he wanted to meet with me so I thought it was kind of neat how that came about like I didn't even have to search him out he's requesting to meet with me so I I did meet with him last Friday and it was funny because he was actually telling me that he's had emails from all across the country regarding this issue since this happened with Doug so I'm I'm touched that it's reaching so many people and my one thing for doing this interview was if I could just help one family not go through what we went through but now it's turning into one family to hopefully this not happening again. Um, Perry did say he was going to look through all of their regulations and stuff. And he said he was, he was just asking me basically my opinion on what should be done. And we just kind of bounced ideas back and forth. And and hopefully within the next couple of years that we will we'll see something change in the regulations. Cause he said they haven't been touched in years. Yeah, 
And that's so, that's the case across the country as well, as these regulations are updated to benefit trappers, yeah. but not to benefit the people. Um, and we, we, in fact, did, uh, as soon as your interview went up, we asked all of our supporters across the country to contact his office yeah. and say they want to see changes to prevent this from happening. So hopefully that assisted in that. But uh, one of the... The things that we do see is uh, a lot of politicians simply don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this fear uh, of getting involved in uh, whether it's trapping or hunting or fishing or any kind of hobby like that. Um, There's this weird political fear of it. So it's very refreshing to know that someone has seen the tragic results of not doing something Mm -hmm. and has chosen. And we don't know what he's going to do. Um, but we do know he's listening yes. and that is certainly, certainly an improvement from what we've seen. And I think it definitely helps of him getting those emails because he heard what happened in the community in his office. He does actually have an office in this town. So it was, I, I was definitely surprised on meeting with him for sure. And, and your sense was that he, he is interested in improving the situation for everyone. Yes, I think he's trying to look at a happy medium in between the trappers and the pet and chil- people who have pet and, pets and children. Because this community here, it is some of pe- these people's livelihoods. Is if they don't, if they're not hunting, they're not eating. So... It's something that if we said no traps within town limits, there there's a lot in those town limits. So there's Yeah, and I think that's that's something contextually that needs to be mentioned is that it's not like um, you know, in in a lot of the rest of Canada where town limits are uh, sort of where everybody lives and then it's outside of town limits. In rural Atlantic Canada, town limits is everything yeah it, it it is pretty large so he we're just bumping ideas back and forth and i i basically suggested i did see on the article that you did put up on your blog i did see that you said something about so many feet from roads so and i told him i said if it was that far from the road i go my dog would be at home right now so it just kind of i think he is realizing that it doesn't have to be altogether out of the town limits, but if it's just so far from road, especially where there's children and pets. Yeah, absolutely. And I, don't, and I don't think that's too much to ask. And the trappers, I know the trappers up in town now have all their backs up, mm-hmm. but it just, it took one trapper who was just a lazy trapper for this issue to come up recently. Well, and, and again, when I look at all of the the incidents of this occurring over the years, whether it's been in Newfoundland, where I've spoken with, um, I think, two other families in this way about pets being injured or killed by traps, um, mm-hmm. and in most other provinces, I've spoken with some. Um, but it's typically within 10 to 15 feet of a road or a trail. Um, because yeah. the dogs, most people's dogs who, who allow them off-leash, in these circumstances, it is. It's they might go a few feet in and then they come back, and they go a few feet in and then they come back. They want to keep their people in sight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yes, I think sure. you're, it's absolutely true that if if we just even make that setback thirty feet or or ten meters, yeah, so that it's not as easily accessible, 
Um, and then the other one that we've requested, and we're, we're pushing for this across Canada, is signage. Um, because there yeah. was one comment in your interview with the CBC uh, that had you known traps were 10 feet off the trail, um, your decision would yeah. have been different. And that's true in every single case. People simply don't know. Yeah. And it's not right that they don't know. Yeah, my mom's still having a rough time with it. She's like, what if I would have done this or what if I would have done that? And I I just kind of have to reassure her even daily now that like there's nothing that she could have done unless she had some sort of cutters to release our dog right away. And in all honesty, even in those circumstances, that's not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, what your mom saw and managed and what your whole family's going through is, is, is it, it truly is traumatic. Um, and you know, for some people, um, it's easier to get past for some people it isn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the worst thing anyone can do is to start questioning their choices that way. Um, there is no doubt that your mother did everything she could. And there's no doubt that your family gave Doug just an absolutely wonderful life. Yeah. Even if it wasn't for as long as you would have liked. He, he had a home. He had a boy to play with every day. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything better for a dog who, who maybe grew up without any of that. So when you remember this, don't remember that pain and that loss, but remember that just the, the love that your family had with Doug while he was there. Yeah, we actually got an ornament from one of our neighbors up the road, and it's a Christmas ornament. We actually have we set up our Christmas tree this weekend. So, and it's a dog, and it's like a modeled clay type ornament, and it says our dog's name, and it says always loved at the bottom. So we thought that was sweet, and it was it was a fight who was going to put it up. So my dad actually won the fight, and he put it as close to the top of the tree by the star that he could. And he was just like, he's, he said that he's never fell in love with an animal as much as he did with Doug. So it's definitely all around. I thought my dad would be actually the one that it wouldn't be as hard on. Cause he's not too fond of animals, but that dog, it was, it was his dog. It, Everyone thought it was their dog. So my son, it was his dog. It was my dog. It was Nan's dog. It was Pop's dog. So he definitely got tons of love. I want to thank Jacqueline for sharing her painful story with us and let her and her whole family know that we at the Fur Bears and all of you wonderful listeners aren't going to stop trying to prevent such tragedies from occurring in the future. Doug will not be forgotten. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.